All right, welcome everybody to a new episode of Term Base. This is episode 14. We're here to talk to you about some RPGs, or as Swift would say, RPG games, because he's dumb. This is David Jagno. Hey. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> that was not nice at all. <laughs> this is David Jagno, senior editor here at thecoalition.com, and I've got my typical partner along with two other guests. So why don't you guys introduce yourself? Ladies first. Oh, why, thank you. This is Electro Jade, and I am happy to be here. A little tired, though, but very happy. And this right here is the epic Venomous Fat Man, the most epic man on the Internet, here on turn base, and it's ready to roll. Yeah. Yeah, and of course I'm here, the real most epic man oh, please. in gaming. So, yeah. Swift epics. Gary B. Please. First, let's just go ahead and jump right into what we've been playing. Uh, I guess I'll go first. For me, I've been playing a lot of Fire Emblem Awakening. I got that from Nintendo last week, or might have been a week and a half. I can't remember when I got it. But I've been playing that quite a bit. And actually, before we were recording this, I was playing a little bit, and one of my favorite characters died, and I got really sad. So, yeah, very sad, very sad, because I don't know if um, if you're listening, if you're very familiar with Fire Emblem. I know you were asking me some questions about it, Venomous, but basically it's a strategy RPG. You know, you take turns, you and your enemy take turns moving around the map. It's grid based. You can attack and everything like that. But it's also an RPG because all your characters level up independently. And it has an overarching story and all that kind of stuff, side quests, all the, everything like that. But the real hook for the series that makes it unique is that all of the characters have names and personalities, right? So between battles, you can talk to them. There's cutscenes, they have conversations, they all have backgrounds. Everyone is a fully developed character. But at the same time, all of the characters except for, like, the main two can die at any point in any battle at any time. So... For example, in this fight earlier, I was kind of being a little careless. I sent one of my troops off to the side to try to take out somebody. They ended up not being able to kill them, got ganged up on, and got killed. And so that was, like, one of my favorite characters that I would talk to after every battle. Uh, like, she she was really funny. I liked her a lot, but she's dead now. So, yeah. Bullshit. Yeah, basically. Wait, <laughs> so this is on the Wii U? No, it's a 3DS game. Oh. Uh, besides that, I've been playing Neverwinter. I'm going to talk to that, talk about that a little bit more later, as well as a Valley Without Wind one and two. I can also talk about those a little bit later. But they're like platformer slash strategy game slash RPG hybrid slash shooter things. They're they're kind of it's, it's very complex, but they're they're pretty cool. They're fun. I like them. I'll pass it over to Jenny now. What have you been playing? Okay, well, <clears throat> honestly, uh, with uh, my schedule, I haven't been able to play anything, and it's been so sad. I mean, like, um, yesterday, I just had this huge craving to play something, and I couldn't. Like, I had so much work to do, and I was, I was like, borderline depressed, and so hopefully this weekend I can play something. But I also want to mention I got my Zelda Hyrule Historia, and I'm very excited. I haven't opened it because it's too exciting, 
and I'm staring at it right now, and I'm very happy. You know what you should do? You should open that, like, on camera, like, the first time you, know, you open I was, it. I was actually thinking about that, but, like, I don't want to ruin the moment by, like, having, like, a camera there. <laughs> like, I'd rather just, yeah, like, that's, you know. That's fair enough. Yeah, like, I want to experience every moment with this book. Like, wow, this sounds... I heard it's pretty good. I heard it's really, really oh, good. Oh, it is. I've already opened and devoured almost the entire thing, and... Wait, so... Yeah, carry on. Oh, no, no, I'm done. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, like, what information does this book have? It talks about the timeline, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's, like a it's, split into, it's split into a bunch of different sections. There's one section... That is pretty much all Skyward Sword, where they have a lot of information as far as the production of that game, development, uh, concept art, some like exclusive sort of interviews, statements from uh, Miyamoto and a bunch of other people. Then the kind of middle section covers the entire uh, series where they go over the timeline, they cover all the history of the games, they have concept art and like details from the development of all the games. Uh, then after that, they also have another section where there's a manga in there also. It's, oh, uh, yeah. That's pretty cool because I know there's a manga for uh, Ocarina of Time, War uh, Swords, and all that. Yeah, there's a whole like Zelda series of manga, and this one is inspired by Skyward Sword, so it's kind of a segue into the most recent game. So would you say that um, this is more a book for Zelda fans specifically, or is this a book that somebody could get? And you know, um, learn about the series. I would say it's okay. Most definitely, because I would say about two thirds of the book is art, and just like um, what they did was they actually translated all of the little scribbles that the artist made next to pictures and stuff. So like, you don't see any Japanese characters on like little random parts. Instead, you see the actual translations put down in English next to the words. And so there's, it's just a ton of like really cool stuff that fans are going to like. Um, I mean, if you're not really much of a fan of the series and you want an introduction, I would recommend just like watching a video or Googling it. Like, cause I don't really know if, if someone that's not a big fan would be willing to spend upwards of, you know, $20 for a book that's, you know, like mostly art. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So who's, Who's next? Should I go? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Alright, um, as far as what I've been playing, really only two games. Um, I'll start off with um, Lord of the Rings, War of the North. I played that briefly with the Rams this week. So fun. On, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun game. I really like it. I mean, it's not, it's not you know, a masterpiece or anything, but it's, it's a really fun game to play with someone. And, I mean... Um, Playing that game just showed me that perhaps co-op in RPGs can work. You know, like in games like Elder Scrolls, Dragon Age, perhaps it can work if they do it right. Because before, you know, I I wasn't really um, too, I wasn't really happy with it, with the idea that you know Dragon Age was going to have co-op, possibly have co-op. You know what's so, a game that does really good co-op in an RPG? Dragon Quest Nine for the DS. That you were able to do that and. They were able to have it where you could join another person's game, but your own main story and your own solo game wouldn't get spoiled or wouldn't get heavily like influenced by you. Yeah, but that, that's a that's a turn-based game though, so it's a little bit different. You're talking about more like an action RPG or more like a, like a, you know a real-time RPG. Yeah. Yeah. 
Pyronaki. But I've always I've always wanted to play Dragon Quest though. But um, yeah, you know, Dragon Quest Nine is the first game in the series that really shook things up. Yeah, one through eight are pretty much very, very, very traditional textbook turn-based RPGs. I heard ten's going to be pretty big, also. Yeah, that's an MMO, right? Uh, and I don't know if it's an MMO, but I know it's supposed to be on the consoles, depending on the Wii, uh, either the Wii U or the Wii, something like that. All right. So, what's the other game you've been playing? Uh, the other game I've been playing is Nino Kuni. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, yeah, I finally got my hands on that. And um, I have a lot of thoughts on this game. Like, I, I really like it because it's a, uh, um, you know, it's like the first decent JRPG that's come out that I've played in a while. Uh, I know there's been other JRPGs on, you know, other systems and stuff, but for me personally, this is like, you know, one of the better ones that have come out, you know, in the past few years. And it's, you know, your traditional JRPG with turn-based combat and, you know, all that. But um, the game does come with its flaws. Like, um, I found that it's it, it takes really long to get into, and um, there's too much instructional stuff within the first, like, three hours of the game. Yeah, I agree with that. It, yeah, the game like kind of makes you time. feel like you're an idiot. Like, yeah. it explains every single thing. Yeah, they over-explain things. Do you think it's because um, they're catering to a different audience, maybe? Like, for, me, for a non-gamer audience? I haven't played Nino Kuni, but it seems like it's very uh, uh, not really catered to uh, a gamer audience, unless I'm wrong. I mean, I, I don't see anybody buying that game who's not a, a JRPG fan well, no, already. I, I think so. I think that fans of Ghibli would buy it that may yeah. not necessarily play RPGs. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I guess right. you know, fans of Ghibli or right. JRPG fans. But, like, I mean, I, I use Carl as an example. Like, he <laughs> he really doesn't like JRPGs or RPGs in general. And, you know, he, he liked the art style of the game. And he didn't even know it was like a turn-based style game. So he tried the demo out, you know, because he liked the look of the game. But then he was immediately turned off by, you know, all the RPG elements of the game. So, oh, wow. yeah, I, I really don't think anybody who who's not already into that is going to, you know, enjoy that game. It's a close-minded fool. That's what he is. Nina Kuni is so popular already. I'm pretty sure uh, gamers who aren't really into uh, JRPGs, they will end up uh, buying it and playing it. So uh, uh, they they won't play it very long though. Well, well, no. Like even then, like it's really good that they have that long instruction guide for them. So I I think they're trying to reach out to different uh, gamer niches. No, I think it will turn people off, though, all the instruction, like, because it really is just too much, and they over-explain the most simplest thing. What I like about um what they did in Final Fantasy thirteen, it's like, um, they kept it, they kept the combat, like, real basic at first, and then they introduce new elements gradually throughout the game, so they give you a chance to, you know, play around with the combat system and learn it, and then they introduce, like, a new feature. But in Nino Kuni, it, it gives you everything, you know, all within, like, the first few hours, and it's, like, it's just too much. It's too much to take in at once, especially when, you know, they... And the, the way they do it as well, it's not like... Because it's, it's, um, it's the little fairy guy who teaches you this stuff, and it's just yeah, text after text. <laughs> it's like paragraphs of text that you have to click through, and that yeah. just makes it more tedious. Yeah. You know what? Uh, you know, they can see that, part? yeah. 
Resonance of Fate is another game that does the same thing that I couldn't stand. So I can I could totally understand where Swift is coming from about that. Like he's right about how Final Fantasy thirteen and thirteen two, like the, the battles were really simple and it was really minimal in how the tutorials were and you had a choice to actually go through the tutorials a lot. So like really get yeah. in depth with each time. Each time they gave you a new element, they gave you that choice. Do you want to get a tutorial or an explanation on this, this and that? And you have the choice whether you say yes or no to kind of keep the flow going. So you're not wearing kind of like, you know, tied down to having to go through this entire thing of every little single thing like what you're saying. Yeah, because, I mean, with Nino Kuni, it's just like, it's just, you know, the first few hours are just so painful to, to get through because it's like everything is so basic. The story is really basic, you know, I'm doing really basic tasks for people. And it's just like, come on, when do I get down to the nitty gritty? Like, I want to get down to the to the complex fighting and stuff. I haven't even really had that that many battle experiences. It's just been. And then wait until you have to grind. I heard you have to grind in Yukuni like a beast in order to get uh, to. The, that's that's the stage. That's the stage I want to get to. But you know, see, because of the first. The few thing hours. the thing about Yukuni, people, the the word grind is kind of hard to define. Like if you define grinding as having to fight things in order to get stronger or having to do things that aren't necessarily moving the plot forward. XP, EXP, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the basic definition. If that's the case, then pretty much every RPG has a grind. Like, yeah. I mean, but I think in Nino Kuni, they disguise it well because there is so much side stuff to do that while you're doing the side stuff, you can level up on the way to do those things. So it's it's kind of hidden. Like, you don't have to just say, oh, crap, I'm stuck at this boss. Let me go grind for an hour and then come back. Like, yeah, that's how somebody explained it to me, because I haven't played the game either yet. And even though I still kept, still, uh, was still kept hearing stellar things about the game, they did keep saying, telling me, like, it has that traditional JRPG element to it, where there is a grind at some point. No, yeah, I mean, it's very traditional, but I think that they hide the grind well. Because you can do bounty quests and side missions and stuff to level up on the way to do those things, instead of just having to go farm monsters outside of the boss area or something. Like, that's how I feel, at least. Cool. Yeah. But, um, what I want to ask Dave is, you know, because I just got, like, my second familiar, and, um, I want to know, like, are there, is there really a lot of familiars in the game that you can collect? Like, is it really, is it on Pokemon level where it's just loads of different ones? Hundreds, yes, hundreds. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. You, you will... Maybe like each area of the game has dozens of different kinds that you'll see, and there's you know dozens of different areas. So you yeah. How do you like? How do you capture them? Because um, the ones I got were given to me. Yeah, see that's another thing. Like you were saying, how the game has a very slow start. You don't get that ability for like eight hours. Wow. And it's not even an ability that you activate. It's a random option that happens at the end of some battles. Uh, sometimes a familiar will, um, after you beat it, it'll be impressed by your, like, battle skills or whatever and try to join you. And so you can choose to have them become your familiar or you can leave them. But, yeah, that's it's totally random. There's not any way to initiate that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's because I've been spoiled with RPGs now that, you know... Um, because a lot of RPGs just get into the action straight away now. So I don't know if it's because I've been spoiled by that while I'm, you know, just really annoyed by the first couple of hours of this. But, you know, 
I just hope it gets better eventually. I definitely think it does. It's one of my favorite games I've played this generation. Okay, that's good to know. I'll probably start to enjoy it more then. Yeah, Swift, you're so spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, what about you, Venomous? I guess I'll talk about what I've been playing. I mean, you know, outside of RPG stuff, I've been playing uh, Sly Cooper, Thieves in Time, because I just got it Tuesday. We're having a blast. I'm going between PlayStation 3 and uh, the Vita version. But also significantly, you know, because this is turn-based, you know, big, one of the games I've been spending the most time with for a while now has been Persona 4 Golden. That's been, like, the one game I've been playing a lot of on my Vita. And it's 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 an older game because, obviously, it's a PlayStation 2 game that's gotten remade. But it speaks volumes to how good it is on the Vita right now. You know, with just a significant amount of time I've been putting into it because just with everything that's been in the original version from the PlayStation 2 all the way now to all the additions and everything that's been, you know, thrown in there, including some of the touchscreen capabilities and all the stuff that, you know, the online capabilities, it just makes what was already really good that much more sweeter. Like, I love, I'm a huge Persona fan. I love Persona 3. It's one of my favorite RPGs of all time. And it's just, Persona 4 just takes it up to another level. It's just, it's, it's awesome. I don't know if any of you guys, are, if you have a Vita, have you ever gotten a chance to play Persona 4 Golden? I've never played a single Persona game. You should. It's really good. It's one of those RPGs that, you know, it, it has a lot of simple concepts, you know, from traditional RPGs, especially JRPGs. But, you know, it makes it fun. It makes it that it doesn't get too crazy in depth or it doesn't make it su- super overly simple, simplified. But it kind of, you know, it implements a lot of story elements and a lot of different, you know, various things you could do in the game to kind of make it a whole complete and really fun package. The problem for me is that I find the whole setting and general concept and premise not appealing at all. It's a very Japanese game. That, it's, it's very Why is that? Because a lot of the stuff that's in there, you know, a lot of the places and the towns that you, in the town, I should say, that you go to, you know, both in Persona 3 and especially in Persona 4 and Persona 4 Golden, you know, it's, it's heavily influenced by Japanese culture. Like, you know, they have ramen shops. They have, you know, different things. There's there's a lot of different quirky humor that's specifically Japanese that if you weren't really kind of in the know too much about it, you know, you wouldn't really get it at first. But, I mean, they kind, of expand, so they, they kind of expand upon it later on, you know, and it kind of grows on you as you play the game. But, it's, but again, I mean, it's a very Japanese game. I mean, for me, that's not really the problem. Like, I mean, I, I like Japanese games fine. It's just, like, the whole concept of, like, I don't know, like, it has kind of sort of, uh, from the screens and the videos and stuff I've seen, it has, like, supernatural elements and stuff that kind of aren't really appealing to me. Like, the whole, like, going to school aspect seems really, like, could get really tedious. Not really, believe it or not. It's a huge part of the game, like, as far as, you know, making your characters stronger. Because your characters fight with, like, avatars called personas, basically, where, like, you know, a lot of your powers and a lot of your magical abilities come from them. And the way you kind of grow besides fighting enemies and gaining experience is that it's almost like a social sim aspect to the game where you actually interact with a lot of the different characters, get a lot of story elements, and actually through talking with them and actually going through some of their stories and whatnot, you know, outside of the main dungeons that are in the game, your personas and your magical abilities grow the more you kind of spend more time with them. Like that, like for example, uh, if you like, you know, interact with a certain character, you know, over time, like the game gives you a whole year, you know, in game time to actually interact with all the characters and kind of solve the big mystery that's going on. And the more days that you go, like after school, you go hang out with a certain dude and talk with him and, you know, you discuss different things or you go 
do all kinds of cool activities. When he's in battle with you, he actually gains new abilities or he'll help you out when you're in trouble or different things like that. It kind of, you know, expands upon it as you spend more time, you know, outside of like the main fighting of the games and stuff like that. So it gets, it gets really interesting. Like the more time you spend with it, the more neat little things that you see. Cool. But yeah, that, that's what I've been playing between that and Sly Cooper. You know, I've been spending a lot of time with it. All right, cool, cool. Um, so I guess first we could talk about um, Swift's kind of already given his Nino Cooney impression, so we can go into some of the news topics. Uh, first is a game that I talked about already, so I'm not going to talk about the game itself, but Fire Emblem Awakening has been having a lot of delays here in the U.S. And I heard that a lot of the problems just been with Nintendo um, just shipping their stuff. I mean, this it seems like they have this problem with everything because the, the same thing happened with the Wii, then the Wii U, now this Fire Emblem game. So I don't really know if, you know, like what their problem is with getting their merchandise to distributors or whatever, but it seems to be like a pretty big issue. Then I they pushed the release date for Luigi's Mansion back a whole month just so that they could kind of make sure they get more copies over. So... I mean, I don't it could, know. It could have something to do with Nintendo's kind of big setup, you know, for this year's E3. Because I know, you know, outside of, like, the Wii U stuff that they're getting ready for, maybe we're kind of also expecting some other stuff from 3DS, possibly. I mean, if the game's done at this point, is it really that, you know, completely finished? Or are they, like, you know, localizing any sort of thing with the game? With Luigi's Mansion? Yeah, with Luigi's Mansion or Fire Emblem Awakening or anything like that. I mean, Fire Emblem's already out. And Luigi's Mansion was supposed to be ready for this month, and they had to push it back for because to, just to make sure they could avoid delays. Excuse me, excuse me, gentlemen. I'd like to make a quick announcement. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yes. For those who don't know, this is Rich. You know, I just want to say something real quick. What you just said about those delays. Well, I've actually heard reports where. They actually said Nintendo released a statement saying that they actually was going to be pushing out some of their releases throughout the year for the exact same reason that you said, Venom, it's because of E3. Yeah, they see, that's the only reason I could think of. But that that just this this has been this is like confirmed. This is no rumors. This is a confirmed statement that they made. Where they oh, got wow. basically well, what's, said what's the reason? I'm confused what relevance E three has. They just said they wanted to stretch out their release calendar. Ah, uh, okay. Have stuff that come out in the fall as well. So, yeah, because that's, that's that the problem sense. they had last year. Yeah. They didn't have any games coming out at all for, the, like, the last third of the year. Everything was January, February at this point. You know, now we're in February, but everything was, like, pretty much coming out in January for, like, the year. Yeah. It, it makes sense, I guess, because they have no games. So, I mean, what games they have, they have to stretch them out, you know. And it's very smart as well, like as a business strategy. It's very smart because um, they'll stay relevant for most of the year. They better have something because they got a 350-pound gorilla coming in February, or at least possibly revealed in February, and then on E3 this year, you know, they're going to need it. <laughs> yeah, because that's an interesting position that it puts them in because last year they could say, oh, yeah, we had, you know, we have the new system. Everyone look at us. Now this E3... 
it's gonna all eyes are gonna be on everyone else but them because they're old news now. Well, I mean, the only thing that they're gonna have, which is why they kind of made that statement, I think it wasn't on a Nintendo Direct or something, where they said that Smash Brothers, a new Zelda, a new Mario. Yeah, yeah see, that's what they have to bring. They have to bring gameplay footage of those games to get the excitement back. I know Mario is gonna be playable. They said Mario and Mario yeah. Kart are gonna be playable at the show. Yeah, so that, you know what? They don't. They don't need gameplay as long as they have some sort of trailer and some sort of announcement. Then it's a winner. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Though they can't just show a logo and say it's coming like they've been doing for two years. They have to yeah. show something. No, no, no. I'm saying like if they do just have a logo, like it's still a win-win. I don't think so. No, nah, they've been doing that for two uh, years. No, no, no. When no it comes to like, Nintendo fans, like. Yeah, our core Nintendo fan base, though, is so small compared to where they need to be at now. Because, again, you got the PlayStation 3 and the next Xbox coming. So they need to bring something to the table because all that attention is going to be garnered towards that shiny new hardware. Because the thing yeah, is, I mean, they, Jenny. they don't have something yeah. that they can say it's just coming now. Because they've been doing that for two years with Zelda, Mario, and Smash Bros. So people know they're coming. They want to see something. Yeah, they want to see something or play it get it, get their hands on it. Yeah, and Jenny, I mean, um, I agree, like, the showing a logo, you know, that would be enough to excite fans, you know, who are already fans of Nintendo. But, I mean, we're talking about E3, the big stage, you know, going up against PS4 and the new Xbox. Like, you want to capture new gamers. You want to get people to buy your platform. True. You know, you want to get new people to buy your platform. And just showing a logo is not enough on that stage. True. Which is why I hated Sony at E3 last year with the Vita. All they did was just show, like, a logo for Black Ops Declassified. Yeah, Call of Duty. And that's it. That's, like, all they did. The worst one by far in history. The worst one by far in history was when Guillermo del Toro was going to make a game called Insane that he said that the game was coming out, like, four years later. And he had that stupid logo that popped on the screen. You're like... Okay, why are you telling us about this game now? And then it gets canceled. That's yeah. the funniest part about it. It's like, wow, Holy you crap. fail. You fail on such an epic level. Oh, yes. That's fantastic. Yeah, but honestly, uh, when, you know, when there was such, like, uh, when they didn't really talk about the Vita last year at E3, like, it kind of made me realize, as someone who doesn't have the Vita, that I have made a really great consumer decision in not purchasing it. And I still feel like that until maybe one day Sony decides to focus on the Vita. The sad thing is, the sad thing is with that is that it's such a great piece of hardware. It's just, it, it doesn't really have is. any let me, software. Let me put it this way, because I own a Vita, and I actually, I, I, I don't regret, you know, purchasing a Vita at all, because I think a lot of the charm for Vita now at the current moment comes from having the Vita with PlayStation Plus, because even though if you didn't have PlayStation Plus at all and you had a Vita, you would be pretty much forced to buy games, you know, at a significantly higher price, you know, and all the other expenses that come with it. So that is a little bit of a pain in the butt. But there are games that are really decent for the Vita that are actually good and worth playing. Like, again, Persona 4 Go, I think is the best game on the Vita right now. And that's a two or like a couple year old, uh, was it RPG from PlayStation 2? It's been around for a while, but it's still, it's a, you know, a significantly good experience to justify having that uh, piece of hardware. On top of everything else, like PlayStation All Stars and Uncharted Golden Abyss and all that, I don't think, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the Vita's woes has anything really to do with Sony's lack of mentioning it at something like E3. 
I think a lot of it, you know, is a lot of uh, scared uh, feet from a lot of developers that are kind of, you know, hesitant to kind of develop for the beta. Like now, as we move on towards this E3, we're going to start getting games because we, I know this September, apparently we're getting a new kill zone for the beta, which I hear is supposed to be dope as well as some other games that are supposed to be coming to the beta later on this year. But again, like, like Nintendo had with the 3DS, you know, when the 3DS first came out, they had that period where they was, they kind of struggled, you know, heavily and everybody was pretty much get, getting on their case or whatnot. It needs time to germinate. So does Vita in this respect. But at all, I don't think any one of the handhelds or this one or any one of the consoles at this point has, you know, it's like, you know, a purchase that anybody should really be regretting because it hasn't been like in any one of the platforms where any of the game, any of the platforms have had no games to play. Holy crap. Okay, fine. I'll get the Vita. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think I convinced me to get a Vita. Achievement <laughs> unlocked. Damn it. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> so I feel left right now. I, I don't regret buying my Vita either. <laughs> Because like like Swift said, I feel like it's a really 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 good piece of hardware. And for me personally, the games that are available on it, I do really really like. And I think that it has a very bright future. There are games coming out this year that I'm excited for. And like you said, you know, PlayStation Plus just makes it even easier to experience games. Because with the Vita, like there aren't a whole lot of throwaway titles. There's just like a handful of good titles. So the games that they give away on Plus are actually worth playing. You get Uncharted like, Golden Abyss for free. That's a $40 game on Vita. Yeah, like, and Gravity Rush, Wipeout, and. Yeah, you get all those games on Vita. Like, they're, they're games to play. I mean, it's just people, you know, they want more system sellers. Like what Nintendo has right now, at least with 3DS and what they're going to be, you know, touting about, you know, going into E3 outside from Wii U, they have apps that, you know, they're going to reveal or that they're showing off that are system sellers. That people will buy the systems just for those games. I don't think Vita has had that point yet. Even though I keep saying Persona 4 Golden is that app, is that a uh, thing that you want to own for your Vita? A lot um, I don't... I think that if Wait, you're going to say that a game that's a port, that's a remake of a PS2 game is the killer app, then that is a problem. No, it is a problem yet yeah, in the grand scheme of things. I say personally for me, that was the game that sold me on the Vita. You know, outside of other games that people were talking about, like Uncharted Golden Abyss or Gravity Rush or any of those yeah. games like that, it is a significant problem like that. But it's not, like I said, it's not like to the point where there are no games to play, like what everybody keeps complaining about. Yeah, I agree. What were we going to say, Swift? I, I was going to say, um, like, the game that really would save the Vita would be the the remaster of Final Fantasy X yeah. if it was ex, if it was exclusive. They've to never Vita. talked about it though, which is so bad. For whatever reason, Square Enix has said nothing about that. Because they're lying. Well, no, I mean, they've confirmed that it's still being made. Yeah, they they, they, they confirmed it's coming. But, but let me ask you this: since the last time we heard about it, which I think was either before Tokyo Game Show last year or whatnot, that they mentioned that, you know, it was going to have, uh, what is it, it was just going to be pretty much an HD. There wasn't going to be any significant changes to it like that. They have yeah. not talked about that whatsoever at all. There's been yeah, something know, more but... recent than that. What was it then? Right here. Like what? Last, last month. Yeah, see, I mean, it's coming out for PlayStation 3 and Vita, but what I think they should have done is made it exclusive to Vita. I think so. that would have been the game to 
to make people get a view. That's why, if you think about it, you know, it's better to have it on both because there will still be people that buy it for their PlayStation 3. Yeah, know, definitely. Like that. Yeah. Well, but to be honest with you... you or, know, or at least make it timed exclusive or something. Yeah, exactly. All right, so I guess we can move on to the last bit of news now real quick. And that is that there has been some Kingdom Hearts 3 info, possibly. It could be leaking out, speaking of Sony and stuff right here. Uh, so, Venomous, you're the one that kind of knows the most about this topic. So, what, what happened exactly? I it changed, because when it first originally kind of broke out, it would actually happen at the end of last month. It was a picture, because one of the voice actors that was the voice of, uh, what is it, Roxas, if you've ever played, if any of you guys out there played Kingdom Hearts 2. You know, it's a significant part of the story. Everybody fanboys over him. But the voice actor actually tw- uh, tweeted out a picture, which was him in the voice acting booth. And it was some footage, I guess, of some sort of Kingdom Hearts-related stuff. So everybody saw this, and he was, you know, he, he didn't pretty much say anything, if I remember correctly. Everybody lost their minds, like, oh, my God, they're doing voice work for Kingdom Hearts 3. They're localizing it. It's coming out. But what it ended up happening was it actually came out that that's not Kingdom Hearts 3 that they're actually, he's actually doing voice work for. It's extra scenes for the remake of Kingdom Hearts 1 and uh, was it Kingdom Hearts uh, Rechain of Memories, which is a re-release that's going to be on the PlayStation 3 from the first. Uh... So what he's doing is is that he's actually redubbing or doing some voice work for some new scenes that are actually going to be a part of that. Because what the way this collection works is that it's an HD version of Kingdom Hearts 1 with trophy support, which is pretty cool. And uh, a re-HD version of the PS2 re-release of Chain of Memories. Chain of Memories was originally on the Game Boy Advance. And they did yeah. a re-release, a 3D remake of it, kind of like what Kingdom Hearts looked like, the, the first game. But yeah. it was the same exact game, but it was in a 3D setting on the PS2. And that one is now also getting an HD remake, again, with trophy support. But in addition to that, they're also going to have all the cutscenes that were from Kingdom Hearts 358 over 2 on the 3DS. I mean, not 3DS, uh, the DS. So you're going to be able to see all those cutscenes and get pretty much the full story, you know, or at least the background story leading up to that point. And then eventually what's probably going to happen is that they're going to release a remake, uh, an HD remake of uh, Kingdom Hearts 2 and Birth by Sleep, because those are the other two more recent games than these like that. So I'm pretty sure Square Enix is going to have two separate collections that are going to be localized. And so, you know, there's been a lot of touting about it. You know, this could all be some sort of ploy by Square Enix to kind of, you know, you know, get more awareness out or get kind of, you know, get everybody warmed up for an eventual, you know, Kingdom Hearts 3 project, which more than like, I'm pretty sure they're working on at some point. They got to be, if not, hopefully Final Fantasy versus 13, wherever that game is. But, you know, everybody kind of got really excited about this. So it's cool. We're getting a re-release because everybody, you know, that's played it has loved Kingdom Hearts. It's a really demanded game, but it is kind of a shame that, again, we're kind of left in the dust about Kingdom Hearts 3, so we got to wait even longer. Hey, now, like, what about the people who've never played Kingdom Hearts, such as myself? Like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is, like, my yeah. childhood fantasy, like, happening. Because like, I know, like, I, I won't be able to play uh, Kingdom Hearts because I don't have PS2 or, um, you know, I don't have PS2. So if they do a remake... It will be like a dream. Like this is really exciting. It's coming out. It's already coming out. But they're saying that it's coming out in Japan on a specific date. I don't remember if they gave, you know, what it, uh, the time frame that they did. But it's also going to be localized for here for the US. So, will this be on PS3? Yeah, it's a PS3. Oh my god! And both games yes. that are have trophy support. So yeah, it's already confirmed, Jenny. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm with Jenny on this, man, because, you know, I'm, I'm mad at myself for never actually playing these games um, back in the PS2 era. So, you know, now I get, I finally get a chance to play them. This was a masterful mix-up between Square Enix and Disney, because everybody thought that this would be Kitty, and it proved everybody wrong. When oh, man. Now, the story in that first game is so good. I mean, Please, say, no spoilers. Oh, no, 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 no spoilers. Say what you... What kind of story is it, though, without no, spoilers? So it has the touch of Square Enix's traditional storytelling, a little bit like the way that they are, how they deliver a story and whatnot. And it has that same Disney charm in it, because... Little fun fact, the original kind of concepts for Kingdom Hearts, Mickey was supposed to be the main character. And Square Enix and Disney were kind of, you know, a little bit at arms, you know, trying to decide if this would be the case or whatnot. And eventually they ended up making a totally new character, which ended up being Sora, which is the main character of Kingdom Hearts, the franchise. But the game itself, you know, it, it's an action RPG, for those that don't already know. And, you know, it, you go to a lot of different familiar Disney uh, properties or Disney type of movie areas, and you interact with a lot of different characters from those Disney movies. But it has a lot of the different uh, elements that from an RPG that Square Enix is really known for. And, like, you read into a lot, you run into a lot of familiar characters, both from Disney and also from Final Fantasy. You know, there are times when you run into Squall or Leon, as he's called in the game, from Final Fantasy VIII. You run into Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, Sephiroth. Sephiroth. A whole yeah. bunch of Titus, Honey, like, the best part about it, though, and what really sums up this game, is that it was a match made in heaven. That it worked. That it yeah. really proved everybody wrong because everybody thought it was going to be a really kitty game when it first came out. And then, as soon as that game came out, it did. A, it was a major hit. And then when Part Two came out again, it was another major hit because it just took the formula and it kind of upped the ante on it. That's what makes it such a good franchise, and that's why everybody wants Kingdom Hearts 3 so much, because after all these spin-off titles, they kind of refine the formula. It's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together or where they actually take the series with the next installment, especially for a next-gen hardware, because I'll tell you right now, more than likely, Kingdom Hearts 3 would either be on, if it's not being developed now for PlayStation 3, it will definitely be on PlayStation 4 or something. If not multi-platform, because knowing Square Enix with what they did with Final Fantasy, I wouldn't be surprised if they make it multi-platform. Well, after hearing you guys talk about it, I can't wait to play it. Yeah, it's they're they're really good games. Like they're they're great because they pretty much hit all demographics. You know, you have the Disney fans, which is pretty much you know anyone that is around our age or younger, even people that are older. You know, the Disney movies were just amazing parts of pretty much everyone's childhood. So all those people love the games because it brings back the the moments from the movies. Then all the people that are Square Enix fans, which are pretty much everyone that likes RPGs, they all love the games because it has all the Final Fantasy characters. It's a really good, solid game, and it's foundation. Great cameos by some characters like Sid. Yeah, yeah. And the the cool th- the thing I like best about it is, even if you stripped away Disney and Final Fantasy, this would still be a great game. Exactly. Wow. Like the combat itself and the gameplay, the the that new characters so that they made for just for Kingdom Hearts. All of that stuff is just really good. Oh my gosh, I'm wow. so excited. Such a streamlined game, or streamlined franchise, you know, as far as game mechanics are concerned, but there's a lot of depth into it, which is a lot of interesting stuff in the game. Yeah, definitely. So, Jenny and Swift, I'm interested, why didn't you guys play these games? Well, I had the N64, so it was either the N64 or the PS2, and I had the N64, and I enjoyed... Wow. So you skipped an entire generation? You didn't yeah. get a GameCube? Yeah, I did. It, really? I went from Sega Saturn to N64. And wow. then PS3? 
Yeah, and then the PS3. Wow, so you skipped wow. all of Last Generation. That's crazy. That's a lot of good games. But it's so interesting because, you know, all the characters you guys just mentioned um, from Final Fantasy, like, I I know them. Like, you know, they've become so iconic in the gaming industry. And it feels like I really haven't missed much. But obviously I have. But it's just really interesting to know that, you know, I, I, I'm still up to date with everything. <laughs> so cool. That's all. And as for me, um, I mean, back then I wasn't really into, you know, um, the actual gaming industry like I was now. Like I wouldn't follow things on online. So I, I wouldn't really know about these games. Like I would literally just go to the to the game store and buy random games. Like, you know, I, I wouldn't actually read up on them online or anything like that. I, just, oh, okay. I would just I would just roll so up and buy stuff. Kind of in your own bubble. You weren't really part of any communities or anything. Yeah. Let me put this These game, this game, Kingdom Hearts One, is so good. You guys, when if and when you end up getting it, you will platinum it because they are just that good. They are that addicting too. Like once you start, you'll be stone close to it. Especially if you're fans, like what you guys said of you know like a Final Fantasy or just a Disney in general, you will be so engrossed into it. That's the it's the charm that that game has. Yeah, it really like, does. I, I remember, like, when I was younger, I would research so much about Kingdom Hearts, just, like, understanding it, <laughs> what it's all about, because I really wanted to play it. I just didn't, I couldn't. And, yeah, I'm really excited. So excited. See, this generation must have been good for you, Jenny, because even though you missed out on games, there's so many HD remakes. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, and it's great value too. You got to admit, like, like the yeah. God of War collection, like the God of War one and two on there, and then God of War three together. That's an awesome HD collection. So true. Well, yeah, plus all the PSP games. And then all the five PSP. games. Yeah, I mean, collections like that are fantastic. Look at Hitman, the Hitman collection. That's awesome. Or Jack and Daxter. Or, or Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. I mean, all those games and all those collections. All those games. Cell, are- Prince of Persia, Devil May Cry. Prince of Persia sucks on the PS3. Wait, what? What did she say? Prince of Persia sucks on the PS3. Oh. Sands of Time, though, was a dope game. you got to admit that, though. Oh, it's so good. All right. So, I guess next we'll talk about upcoming, which there's only really one game that I wanted to talk about for this. You guys can chime in with some RPGs that are upcoming that you're looking forward to. But uh, for me personally, I'm going to talk about Neverwinter. That's an MMO coming from Cryptic Studios who developed a City of Heroes. Not, I'm sorry, not City of Heroes, uh, Champions Online and Star Trek Online. And so they have some experience with MMOs. And also it's being published by Perfect World Entertainment. And so this game is based on D&D. Uh, if you're familiar with Dungeons & Dragons or Dungeons & Dragons-based games, then it takes place in Neverwinter, which is an area in the Forgotten Realms area of Dungeons & Dragons. And this game is based on the latest rule set, which is 4th edition D&D. All of the older games are based on 3.5. I know none of you guys really know what I'm talking about, but the people that are listening might. Like the old Neverwinter Nights games, all of the old D&D games are based on the previous rule set. So this is one of the first ones that's going to be based on the newest rule set. And that's that's big because it's a lot more streamlined, it's less complicated, and it's more action-focused. 
So this um, Neverwinter plays like an action RPG, not like a traditional MMO. So you have a cursor on the screen where you click to attack. You don't have to target and push, you know, number one to wait for your guy to attack. You know, you can jump around. Whenever I'm, I played as a like a paladin type character, I could pull up my shield to time it and block attacks. I could like shield bash, do different abilities and stuff. So it played like an action RPG, but it's an MMO. And um, one of the cool features that this game has that not many MMOs have is it has a foundry system where you can create your own content. So your own quests, your own dungeons, all that kind of stuff. And so that's... Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I love stuff that, like that. This is the crazy thing about the game because it's keeping... It's taking the things that made the Neverwinter Nights game so great, uh, you know, like the, the setting itself, the storyline, all of the... Um, like creation stuff, the modding, all of that kind of stuff, and they're making an MMORPG out of it. And so a lot of people are really excited. And I got a chance to play the press beta, and I'll link. We'll link my impressions in this article uh, for the podcast here. But it, it's really good. Like it's really really fun. And uh, the Q and A session with the developers was really promising, because they seem to really know what people want to play free to play MMOs. You know, they've said that crucial or like really cool important stuff is not going to you're not going to have to pay for um, all the stuff in the foundry is going to be pretty much free um, that they, that they don't want it to be pay to win in any way at all. You know, they're, they're really trying to make this like a really good free to play MMO and it, it has a lot of potential. So I, I like hearing stuff like that. Cause it seems like, you know, they're not, they're not money orientated. They just want to give gamers a, a great experience first, you know, before any yeah. money is exchanged. Right. And the, and the coolest like thing about this game is there's another Dungeons & Dragons MMO. It's called Dungeons & Dragons Online. Uh, the difference is that that one started out as a premium, you know, pay-to-play game, and it has turned into free-to-play, but you have to pay to unlock pretty much all of the stuff in that game that's worth playing. And also the combat and the gameplay is so different because, like I said, it's based on the previous rule set. And while that doesn't really mean a whole lot to people that aren't familiar with D&D, it makes it a lot slower paced. It's a little bit more complex. Um, so whenever it comes to making a game, this newest rule set is much better. And it allows for a lot more fast-paced action, especially in the combat and leveling. And so that's that's what's going to make this one, I think, a lot better than that other um, D&D online game. Yeah, well, I remember um, we did a podcast on Dungeons and Dragons before, so um, everybody, if you're not familiar with D&D, then go check out that episode. But um, it sounds like, from what you're saying, that, you know, this MMO will be a great um, starting point for to, to get into yeah, a D&D game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, if you're just and the, Another thing that makes this it. a little bit different is it's not so much like a huge, ginormous open world like Guild Wars 2 or stuff like that, that's just a huge, massive world. It has different hubs, like towns and cities and stuff, with dungeons that are instants you go to. So it's a little bit more manageable for them to do as a free-to-play game, because it's, it's you're never going to have thousands of people on one area at a time, because the game is more instance where you go into dungeons with parties. And so in that sense, it's a little bit more um, smaller scale than other MMOs, but that also reinforces that same D&D logic because, you know, D&D is a game about playing as a party. So this game's going to have clerics, it's going to have knights, it's going to have assassin characters, wizards. It's very traditional high fantasy, 
and the party is the crux of the game. Like, you know, for like Guild Wars 2, for example, Gary, you know how everyone can heal themselves, everyone can fulfill any role, but, you know, Neverwinter is D&D, so it's yeah. going to be about forming a strong party where everyone has a specific role that they have to fulfill to be successful. So you really have to, you know, have your party together. Yeah, D&D is all about teamwork, and they're trying to put that into actual game form for once because Dungeons & Dragons Online didn't really capture that so much. And so this game is really trying to make the, like, the actual D&D MMO that people have been wanting. Crazy. Okay. Well, as far as the whole Neverwinter side of things, like, um, does it carry on a lot of the lore that comes from, you know, the previous Neverwinter games, like um, the ones from Bioware and uh, yeah, Obsidian? Yeah, you're right. Those are the, yeah, Bioware did the first one, then Obsidian did the sequel. Um, it takes place, I, I don't know if it's within the same universe, because what happened is um, an actual D&D, the actual tabletop game, they released... Uh, what's called the new campaign, which is like the new setting of where the dungeons and the stuff is going to happen. They release books and lore and stuff to go along with the tabletop game. And so this MMO is going to be based on these new settings. So it's going to be, it's still Neverwinter, but it's much later in the timeline of the Forgotten Realms universe. And what the devs said that they're going to be doing is trying to incorporate the storylines that are being released in novels and books and incorporate it into the game. And what happens in the game is also going to influence what happens in the actual canon lore. So it's, this is going to be like an integral part of the D&D experience now. It's not just a side game. Oh, okay. So they're yeah, going all yeah. out with it. That's cool. I, I definitely want to give that a try. You know, um, thanks to Guild Wars 2, I'm much more open to trying out MMOs now. So I definitely want to give that game a try. Yeah, and I don't know if Venom, it Mr. Ginny, if either of you play many MMOs, but this is going to be free to play. So once it's out, you can download and just play. Yeah, you know, I've, always, uh, I've always wanted to play MMOs, but I've just been so intimidated. Like, it seems like you have to start from scratch. And, and you, you need know, time. Because I don't, it's just yeah, I don't have the time, time to invest to an MMO. Like at least I know some console games could get as high as like maybe like forty plus hours. We're not, but with like an MMO, you need more time on top of that because the real game that some MMOs doesn't really begin until after you've done like most of the main story content. And see, that's that's why that's why this game I think is going to be appealing because, like I said, it's you can play it in smaller chunks because there's dungeons that you can go play with friends and, you know, experience that story itself. It can be a smaller self-contained thing where you don't have to play, you know, upwards of 30, 40 hours to get to the end of the game to finally do the fun stuff. Like in this game, you know, you can just go through dungeons. You and your friends can make a dungeon. You could play through other people's dungeons and stuff. So it, it's a lot easier to play. The, I think it'll be a lot easier to play this game in smaller chunks which I think will be good, especially for a free-to-play game, because it can bring in new players. Cool. Sounds interesting. Yeah, so all, all four of us can form a party together sometime and run through a dungeon. Old school style. Team Coalition. It's going down. And, and Jenny can be the healer. Yeah, Jenny can be the healer. Shut up, man. <laughs> I'm going to be the healer. You know one game that I'm really excited about that is going to make me want to buy a 3DS, though? That should be coming sometime down the line. Project Crosshome. If I don't know if you guys ever saw. Oh, yeah. I, I want that game so bad, and I'm so glad that that's coming to the States. 
because I don't if you listeners out there, if you're not familiar with Project Crossover, basically Capcom, Sega, and Neko Bandai have teamed up to a one big crossover game. There was a game back in Japan originally called Namco Cross Capcom. It was the first collaboration between Capcom and Namco, but it wasn't a fighting game. It was an actual uh, turn-based RPG. And basically, you have different characters from all the different franchises team up and taking up some, uh, was taking on some major bad guy. And the real charm of the game was kind of like Super Robot Wars, where you were able to control, you know, actively some of the attacks that go out on your different turns whenever you're facing off against different enemies and stuff. And the animations of the attacks used to be so awesome. And what's cool about this, because now we got three companies now, we got all sorts of different characters that are going to be interacting with us. I mean, you got characters from Resident Evil, from Street Fighter, from uh, Dot Hack. From, uh, yeah, I'm looking at a picture now, and I see there's like Stop. Mega Man, I see Ryu, I see Dante, I see uh, Chris Stop. Redfield. Darkstalkers. There's, there's all these different franchises, and there's even more on top of that, you know, that they've shown. And some of the trailers and stuff that they've shown, you know, for the Japanese release of the game, you know, that's going to be down the line if it hasn't already come out. You know, they look awesome. That's a game that's going to be amazing on the 3DS. You know, it's going to be, it's going to get, it should get a lot more attention than what it's been getting. Because that's a game that will really kind of get everybody's blood going. Because it looks like it's going to be a great RPG. It's got all these different characters from all over the place, whether you're familiar with all three different companies or just one of them. You know, it's got a little something for everybody, and I want it. You know, that's the yeah. game that's going to buy it through the US. So I'm happy about that. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, um, just to add on to the upcoming segment, I just wanted to ask if anyone here um, signed up for the Elder Scrolls. They told me I had excellent chances, so we will see. Are you serious? I think I got, like, poor chances. <laughs> I don't even remember seeing Yeah, because they had you submit, well. like, your systems specs, and there's a box that asked whether I was part of the industry or not, so I don't know if that helped or hurt me. Then you had to answer, like, a whole crap load of questions, and it said my chances were excellent, so... We will see. Damn. Damn. Yeah, I hope I get in there. They've actually released. Oh, like, there's pictures gameplay of footage, this, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a ton of footage. Oh, I, I need to see it, that. I don't know. I um I hope it's awesome, but I am very very cautious as of right now. Because, well, I kind of explained this a little bit in my article about games that don't need multiplayer. Um, For me, this game seems like, based on, like, trailers and gameplay, it seems like it's going to be an MMO with Elder Scrolls stuff thrown in it instead of Elder Scrolls turned into an MMO. Because those are two very different things. And I think it's going to be just another fantasy MMO with just Elder Scrolls crap in it. So you're saying it just seems like, you know, your typical MMO, but just with... Basically, that's what I'm afraid of. And based on the stuff I've read, like, there are classes in this game, first of all. Um, like, the questing and stuff, from what I've heard, is it's still... It's not done yet, it's in beta, but I've heard some very kind of things that aren't making me very excited about that. Um, like, the graphics don't really look very much like an Elder Scrolls game at all. It... Uh, I don't, I don't really like that. Uh, the combat, see, the combat seems like it'd be kind of cool, but it's once again, it looks pretty much just like most other MMOs. It doesn't remind me of Elder Scrolls at all. 
Like if I saw a screenshot of that game, I would think it was okay, some other just any throw in any fantasy MMO and that's what it looks like. RuneScape. <laughs> okay, not any. <laughs> yeah, RuneScape. I used to play that game so much. Really? I hated yes. that game. Oh man. Uh, Dude, I remember that game. I played it like a lot. Yeah. Whenever my computer couldn't run EverQuest, I would just play RuneScape. It was like the poor man's MMO back in the day. It still is. Yep. Good old days of RuneScape. Remember trying to get Rune Armor, how much of a chore that was? Oh, my God. I used to sit in the library computer because uh, back in the day, I remember the library to play RuneScape. There you go. First world problems right there. That, that, it, I was like, I, I would not be stopped by this barrier of not only a computer. I will play my RuneScape. There you go, folks. RPG gamers for life. That's how it's done. Bad memories. That's what it is. <laughs> I like to get year one. That's hard. All right, well, I guess that concludes episode 14 of Turn-Based. Uh, everyone, make sure you tune in next time for more RPG goodness and our awesome, sexy voices. Also, Jenny, she's here too. <laughs> I called James on the first hug from Jenny. I already called it. What? Things got creepy as shit. Well, we're going to end now. <laughs> I like hugs too. Exactly, you see? That's why I get the first hug from Jenny, so yeah. Okay, deal. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> I call the first hug from Swift. Now that was creepy. <laughs> no, that's, not, that's not creepy. When we we text each other each time before we go to sleep and send each other pictures of ourselves sleeping. It's not creepy. Oh man. These text me these pictures. Yeah, Too I much. love days, man. What'd you say, Jenny? Can you please text me these pictures? No. Why? For our eyes only. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be selfish, David. And be selfish if it's about me and my man. <laughs> oh. oh. Well. Swiffy poo. Swiffy poo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm about to stop recording now. Pause. Pause.